Mother's Day can, like so many holidays, can be a complicated time, uh, filled with good memories and uh, joyful anticipation, and also filled with regrets, uh, whether uh, regrets of things done or things undone, things said or things unsaid. And so uh, you just recognize uh, that it's not as simple for everyone as we would necessarily like it to be. If you have a uh, prayer card with you, we will uh, collect those at this time. Just hold them up and uh, we'll grab those. And of course, there'll be an opportunity to uh, uh, add to those um, a little later in the service. All right, today we are beginning a new uh, sermon series, and uh, I recognize it's not a perfect fit for Mother's Day, um, so it's not a, a Mother's Day sermon series, uh, but uh, I hope that it's something that will be beneficial for all of us. And I might need some help from the back room to advance that slide. The other, other direction? There we are. So the, uh, the sermon series is, is titled The Light in My Darkness. And the basic concept of this sermon series is that we all have darkness in our lives. We all have fears. We all have doubts, hurts struggles, sins, weaknesses, guilt, shame, regrets. Whatever it is, we have things in our life a light could shine in there. That, that someone burden off my heart. And maybe it's not a place that we uh, take our mind very often. Uh, and so we, we go through life. We don't think about it a whole lot, but we also know that it's there. That if we were to sit by ourselves for too long, if we were to, to if our mind was to go there, that we would feel uh, or recognize that familiar darkness. And so we're looking for light as the answer to our darkness. Um, and so the, this idea is a little bit like when you see a light at the end and you go, oh, that's great, unless it's a train that's coming straight towards you and there's nowhere to get off the tracks, right? And so you go, well, you want Make this out. You see that it's a light. But also, you look at it, you hold your head just the right way. It's a, uh, an image of a dragon. Uh, the head of the dragon is over on the left side of the, of the screen there. And, um, and, and so it's this idea. A, uh, can actually be a dragon, can be a monster. Like we're trying to get
appropriate, uh, what am I trying to say, importance in our lives, then it can turn into something good, can turn into something that's also bad. A light, a flame can become a dragon that will only harm us more. And so starting today, uh, uh, first of all, uh, the different responses that the two groups of people in the New Testament had uh, to the national darkness of Babylonian exile. Okay, so Israel was taken, the Jerusalem was destroyed you know, before Jesus, several centuries before Jesus. And the Babylonian, the, the Jews, the yeah, people of Judah, of Jerusalem, were taken into Babylonian captivity. They were relocated to another land. And then some of them were brought And as they started to rebuild the nation over the centuries, they're like, how do we do this in our lives, right? We look back on our lives and we go, there's this trauma. How are we going to view it? How do I explain it? How do I make sense of what happened to me? And then as I move forward, still one of hope, still one of, of, of joy and purpose. And, and I, so I think we can, if, if we can relate, many of us, to what Israel as a nation went through in that exile. And so we're going to look at the different ways that the Pharisees and the Samaritans responded to the exile. So today we're sort of dwelling a little more on, on the Pharisees and next week it'll be on the Samaritans. But uh, after that, uh, building off a book that is called Befriending Your Monsters. It's written by a Church of Christ minister, uh, Luke Norsworthy. And, uh, and so we'll look at the monster, for a couple of weeks, we'll look at the monster of comparison, then the monster of more, the monster of success, and finally some monster fighting tips. Okay, so it's about, we'll take two weeks on the comparison, more, and success, and then one week on the tips, so uh, that's our next seven, eight, nine weeks, uh, wherever that, that takes us. We'll come to that. Uh, so the Bible is a, a big book. Right? If you've ever attempted to, to read it, <laughs> it doesn't take you very long to realize it's a big book. Right? And you're like, man, I've read 600-page novels. This will be no trouble. I'll, I'll, I can read that in a novel. In a week, you know, Bible, yeah, a week, maybe two, you know, I'll get through this. And you start out, and all two bars sort of dragging a bit, and then you realize it's not a novel. <laughs> right? And you're like, and so. It's a, it's a big uh, get my head around the Bible and and what's going on there is to look for or or threads that run through scripture and I know I've talked about this concept before but uh, 
we look at the way that God rescues his people through the, the concept of Exodus. Um, but one of the themes, uh, a very important theme that's similar to Exodus is that of exile. Okay? And, and so why <laughs> that difficult situation. And so you're sent out of where you belong, X, and off to, to somewhere else. And so uh, we, we can see this, this idea of exile all the way through Scripture. And it's saying, how do we deal with exile? How do we deal with being forced go to somewhere that is unfamiliar to us. And so from the opening pages of Genesis, if you think of the story there of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve are at home in the garden. Then they're exiles out of the garden and they're not allowed back. Cain is there immediately after Exile. Off in the wilderness by himself. Uh, we can look at later on a family, in this case, for his own safety, looking for refuge. Uh, later, Egypt, uh, and where God brings them out through the exodus to the promised land. Much later on, David is going to live for his own safety. He says, yeah, I'm not safe in my own land anymore. I'm going to go and live with Philistines. And then, of course, as I mentioned, when the Babylonians defeated Jerusalem, a lot is taken in exile to Babylon. So back in the book of Deuteronomy, when God brought his people out of Egypt, he had this to, uh, to say to them about their future. Um, see, it's working now. This is kind of long, and I'm sorry, if you have Deuteronomy chapter 30 in your, your Bible, you can turn there, and perhaps it's easier to, to read that. But Deuteronomy chapter 30, and beginning in verse 1. And God has Or Moses talking. When all these blessings and curses I set before you come on you, and you take them to heart, wherever the Lord your God blesses you among the nations. So this is presuming that they're, they have sinned, they've abandoned God, they're being cursed, and they're being dispersed among the nations. Verse 2. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God, from all where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. 
He will bring you to the land that belongs to your ancestors, and he will take possession, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God may love with all and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I have given you t- I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God in all the young of your livestock, the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your ancestors. If you obey the Lord your God, keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So this was spoken just after coming out of Egypt. So there's no king, there's no country, there's no nothing. But God says, He says, when when you're unfaithful to me, you worship these other gods, you'll be scattered. But that's not the end of the story. Wherever you're dispersed among the nations, I'll bring you back. And so we have this really, really simple outline. And this is, the last slide I have today. Unfaithfulness leads to exile. Forgiveness leads to return. And faithfulness leads to blessing. So it's a simple point. The middle right there. Because it says you if you're punished, you'll be dispersed. God will bring you back if you obey the Lord. And if you look down there, obey the Lord. Through this passage. But in verse 4, it says, even if you've been banished, oh, sorry, verse 6, the Lord so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. And so, that's uh, kind of different from what's around it. Okay? What's happened around it Circumcision was a, an, an indicator uh, to, for, for the Israelites to God, uh, uh, to the world, saying that they were in a covenant with God, that they belonged to God. And, and so it, it's sort of... belong to me. And that's why and there are consequences of that. You know why 
you know, you, you lose the benefits of having that relationship with me. But when you come back, yeah, you, you need to obey things, you need to live in a way that brings, that's consistent with who I am, but the goal is for your heart to belong to me. And so I think that's very important for us to keep in mind, that, that if we were just to read this and, and ignore how well we obey, uh, but, but verse 6 tells us that, that, that is, obedience is important. Keeping God's law is important. But the goal is giving our heart to God. Now, after the Babylonians took the um, Jews into captivity, they didn't get, they were the biggest, baddest world at the time, but they didn't And and they could go home, right? and so people liked them. They were less likely to rebel if they were happy. And so the Persians send the Jews. Now Ezra and Nehemiah are two people, uh, two men that took advantage of this return. Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem. And he went to teach God's law and to implement God's law okay, uh, amongst the people there in Jerusalem. And so together... And, and not only separate themselves politically, but they said, it, you need to make sure you're not marrying these people. These, particularly, they focus on the men, you're not marrying the reason for that is so that you wouldn't be led astray to uh, worship foreign gods. Nehemiah, in, in chapter, chapter 8 of that book, he uh, the book there gives this account of Ezra's arrival in Jerusalem. And when, when he gets there, he's taking very seriously to teach the people the law, which was his purpose of being there. And so we're told that... like the first gospel meeting. 
And it goes for seven days. <laughs> seven days. Uh, Josiah, Hezekiah, they discovered the law. And so Israel actually operated um, without the law, without, without God's word. And so they didn't know, they, they, even the king didn't know what the law was. And so when they discover it, now they've got to talk about it and say, well, what's, what, what do we do? How are we going to do this? And they realize there are things that they're not doing. And I say, we need to do them. And, and we would be surprised, perhaps, to find that the Sabbath is one of those things. We think the Sabbath is in the Ten Commandments. Surely everyone knew about that. But when Ezra gets back to Jerusalem, that's one of the things they have to start doing, is observing the Sabbath. And so um, the, the, the people repent. And they say, God, we've neglected you. We need to turn around and come back to you. They dedicate themselves to God. In fact, they even get leading people. And they understand that of those ungodly decisions that we've made. And the way out. than I have been. And so we can relate, I think, to, to this attitude that they're having. And this attitude is really one that This is where the, 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 the really the beginning idea of the Pharisees that Jesus is going to interact with so much that it's going to be, we need to get back to God. And the way to get back to God and to receive his blessings is to obey his law. And so we need to be very careful about that. But here's the thing. Despite it's as though the people are only paying lip service to God. The book of Nehemiah closes with him walking around the city. And he learns have been hoarding money. And they haven't been paying the Levites, and they haven't been paying the musicians the way that they were supposed to. And then he walks a little further. They're buying and selling and doing business 
on the Sabbath, despite the document they had signed just a few probably years earlier. And finally, he observes that Jewish men are following the dangerous example of Solomon by continuing to marry women from the surrounding nations. And so Nehemiah by this. In verse 25, 13, he says, I rebuke them and call And I think what we see here is that we see how the light has become a monster. Because Ezra and Nehemiah both had this goal of bringing the people back to God. But they were seeking to do it by forcing people to behave a particular way. And, and, and what people's hearts to be given to God. You see? And, and so because of that, they're like, then they're like, I could make money on the Sabbath. Huh? And they're like, oh, As foreign women are fine. And 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 then they're like, well, yeah, we could save some money if we didn't hire pay the musicians. And and so what started out as saying, oh yeah, we'll do this, but it was an attempt to uh, regulate behavior was really what they were doing. And, and they had missed verse 6 of Deuteronomy 30, where God says that, that when you come back, you'll give your hearts to me. They were doing their obeying, at least for a little while, but they couldn't sustain the obeying because their motivation was just their personal safety. Um, and not their relationship with God. And so even though they spent seven days, what did we accomplish, Nehemiah? And, and it's interesting, the book of Ezra finishes kind of the same. Because um, Ezra, it's interesting, Ezra is actually regarded as a, a great figure in Judaism. In, in fact, one of the uh, very important Jewish books that was written after Jesus, but still gives us insight into the thoughts of the day, they, they describe Ezra as a, a second Moses, as he was that important. And because he was the one who brought the law back to them that second time when they'd forgotten it. And, and so they're like, yes, Ezra is the one that brought us back.
back to God. Even though the, the outcome is uh, ambiguous at the end of the book. Um, Ezra's book also closes with this ambiguous story of, of how successful he'd been because he, his, his ending is that he says, unlike Nehemiah who just said your children shouldn't marry foreign wives, Ezra says, all of you who have married foreign wives, you need to send them and your children away, back to their homelands, back to their families. And, and what's really interesting, this was one of the city rulers that said, hey, Ezra, I think this is how we should do it. What we should do, we've spread the law, we've seen that God doesn't want us following uh, marrying foreign wives. We've seen the example of Solomon and how foreign wives can corrupt us. Uh, well, we need to, to send them away. But the, the talk once you've married a foreign wife, it just says don't do it. Um, we, we have the story of Ruth who was a foreign wife uh, that, that was married by a Jew. So there's these different ideas going on but as to whether it's right. Maybe they're um, ensure that they didn't go back to Babylon. Right? To ensure maintained its identity as God's people, to, to ensure maybe that's what it took. On the other hand, maybe Ezra got a little overzealous in trying to make people obey the law. Maybe the light had become a monster. And so we need to be careful in, in our lives that, that sometimes we can say, yeah, I need to get back with God. I need to get right with God. I need to, 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 to make changes in my life. But, but if I changing our habits, changing the things we do, and not getting to know God better. Not getting to, to know God better. Into a monster. And, and I think that that was so I think he's trying to draw people into relationship with God. And, and so it was just a different emphasis from the religious leaders of his day. And so, how Ezra, Nehemiah, the Pharisees responded to exile was by focusing on obedience, focusing on the law, but not so much 
focusing upon God. And so we need to be very careful about that. I want to suggest darkness in your life. It's appropriate to review and say, what decisions have I made that didn't honor God? Yeah. What, what did, did I do things wrong? Sometimes it's not us, right? Sometimes it's somebody else that's abused us. Right? They've made the ungodly decisions. And sometimes it's us. And, and we need to reflect on that and consider, consider that. But also, we need to take some time to reflect on what's my relationship with God like? How do I feel about God? What do I, how much influence do I want God to have in my life? What am I willing to do for God to have that influence in my life? And so we need to be careful that we don't over-prioritize our behaviors and neglect our heart relationship with God. Our light can become our dragon. We read earlier and we see there in, in this passage the importance of Forgiveness, not forgiveness, repentance. Uh, We see the importance of holiness. In verse 14 of 1 Peter 1, it says this. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written... Be holy, because I am holy. And so that obedience is still part of our lives. It's still important for us today. But I hope we didn't hurry by verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed as his coming. Our hope is not in in our obedience. Our hope is in the grace that Jesus brings. And and then in in verse, um, let me see. Oh, I missed it. Oh, here we go. In verse uh, 17, for since... You call on a father who judges each person's works impartially. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. You see, the the theme of exile is one that is still pertinent to us. As as children of God, we're from our home, we're foreigners in a, a world. Of, um, of people that are not in God's kingdom. And, and so the, this idea means that we're going to continue to encounter darkness in our lives. We need to make sure that God is our light. 
I want to just encourage you today that if you um, have some darkness that you would like uh, help with, right? because one of the things that's interesting is that Ezra and Nehemiah, when they, they come back, it's, it's a communal exercise of repentance. They, they get the whole city together and they say, we, we all need to repent. We all need to read the law. And they didn't just repent for themselves. They repented. They confessed the sins that their ancestors had done that led them into captivity. They said, God, we as a people messed up because our ancestors messed up and we're sorry about that. And, and we're going to make a, a difference as we go forward. But it's something they did together. And, and so as we seek to walk we don't over-individualize it. Because one of the things that, that is scary about darkness is that other people might see it, right? And so, you know how you get rid of darkness? We expose it to light. <laughs> and, and, and when we expose But that can be difficult. It can be hard. And so I want to encourage you that if, if you, and not just this week, but as we go forward in the current, coming weeks, if you have these places of darkness, if you have these struggles and hurts, um, please talk to someone you trust. Whether it be someone in this room uh, or someone else. It could be me. It could be one of the elders. It could be, could be anyone that you feel safe with. But shine a little bit of light under that darkness. Because ultimately, um, that light that needs to be shone on it is God's light. And, uh, and we want to help each other with that. We're going to, to sing a song, and um, uh, then we'll be coming around the Lord's table. Reminded, the grace and the forgiveness. And, and I love that center one there. Forgiveness leads to return. It's not obedience leads to return, although that's part of it. Forgiveness leads to return.